You're listening to the Invisible Condition Podcast, a show where we talk about unusually normal things. We have a goal of putting an end to the stigma that surrounds invisible conditions by empowering voices and stepping out of fear and shame. The term invisible condition is inclusive of non-apparent disabilities, diseases, and illnesses. I'm your host, Tim Reitzma. I wanted to say thank you to everyone who's donated to Keep Invisible Condition going. If you love what we're doing and would like to support, please consider giving the podcast a rating and comment. Share this with friends and family. And if you have the financial means, please consider donating. Head to InvisibleCondition.com to learn more. Now, back to the show. I have been told uh, by exactly two people this year uh, that have successfully battled cancer, cancer, and they said, Miles, having cancer absolutely sucked. It took everything out of me. But I can tell you that it was harder finding a job after having had cancer than it was battling cancer itself. And what does that say about the world, right? What does that say about the freaking world? Hiring someone with a disability is a risk and a liability, so we try not to go there. People with a disability don't often perform as well as others, so we avoid hiring someone with a disability. Have you ever heard this before? Or maybe you've thought this? Well, guess what? You most likely have people in your organization who live with a disability. You just can't see it. It's invisible or non-apparent. Today, we dive into the often unexplored and undervalued world of employment for people with disabilities. Miles Wallace is a disability inclusion partner at Peak Performers and a passionate board game designer. Miles brings a unique blend of professional expertise and personal experience to our conversation, offering valuable insights into the intersection of disability and employment. His journey, marked by profound hearing loss since infancy, is a testament to overcoming barriers and finding fulfillment both in a career and personal passions. This episode is going to change your perceptions and inspire as we explore the nuances of creating inclusive work environments and the transformative power of acknowledging and accommodating disabilities in the professional world. Whether you're a job seeker, an employer, or simply someone to better understand more about this incredibly important topic, this conversation with Miles is a must listen, and I know it's going to impact you. Miles, I'm excited to talk with you today. You are an expert in the field of employment and especially uh, people with disabilities and employment. So such a, a valuable conversation that we are going to be having today. I'm not sure where it's going to go, but we're just going to go with the flow of it. But, uh, but thanks for joining me. You're quite welcome, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm so happy to be talking with you and talking with all of your listeners to help uh, change the norm about what it means to have a disability and to be employed. It's such a, a big topic and one that I started to do quite a bit of research on. And, I'm, and I know this is going to add a lot of values uh, to our listeners as well. But before we get into that, why don't you take uh, a couple minutes and just share with us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So my name is Miles Wallace. I work for Peak Performers. 
and uh, I am a disability inclusion partner. I know that's kind of a funny sounding job title, but basically my job is to go out in the community and engage with clients, uh, to engage with job seekers, and also to engage with community resources, as well as other people that are willing to amplify peak performers voice in order to not only spread the mission, uh, but also put people to work. Because here at Peak Performers, we are a nonprofit staffing agency uh, that prioritizes the hiring of people with disabilities and putting people to work that's something that's very core to our intrinsic values and what we uh, stand about because you know you can talk a big game but at the end of the day uh, we give people J-O-B-S and that's something that's incredibly meaningful to so many human beings out there. Uh, personally, uh, I would uh, share with you that I am a, a board game designer so when I'm not talking about disabilities, when I'm not talking about employment, and I'm not changing people's minds about what it means to have a disability while being employed. Uh, I actually am a board game designer. Uh, so I have my first couple of uh, published titles that are gonna be coming out in the next uh, several years on Kickstarters. It's been a long journey for me, but it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I just uh, love getting together with my friends to design games, uh, to uh, develop strategy games, uh, and to really kind of um, bring people together because we spend so much time these days uh, buried in our phones, looking at the news, looking at Twitter, looking at whatever the case happens to be, right? Um, but to be able to bring families and friends together and give them a reason to see each other and spend a meaningful activity with each other, that's the other thing that gets me up out and out of bed every morning. Wow. I, I have so many questions. I'm so curious about designing board games. And that is uh, an area that I'm I'm fascinated about is my son, he's 10. Mm -hmm. He loves to design games and he loves to, you know, draw different boards, board designs on a piece of paper mm -hmm. and create cut out tokens. And, you know, often they're so complicated, we can't play them, but <laughs> I just love how his brain works. And I can imagine how your brain works in order to, to figure out that. And so, you know, I, I'll park that curiosity for now. And, uh, but well, here's what I would say, you know, here's I'm, what I would tell you, Tim, is sure. that you're, um, uh, your son is in a great place. Like uh, we have seen it within the board game community, a revolution that's happened and a renaissance uh, within the areas of board games uh, where more and more people share my passion for bringing people out of their phones and to the table um, to share experiences with each other. Uh, and the really cool thing is that unlike coding for video games or unlike, uh, you know, being able to paint a picture and stuff, the barrier to entry is so low and the community is so collaborative. And there's so many people that are out there that are happy to help you. Uh, and in fact, I have a buddy that runs a game design course specifically for kids. So there's a cool wide world out there. But again, we'll talk about disabilities. We'll talk about board games some other day. <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 we'll park that conversation. I'm really curious about the course, but we're here to talk about disability. I'm curious, you know, peak performers, uh, what, what got you so interested in this type of work? Sure. So I myself have been a person with a disability for a very long time, uh, about one years old. Uh, my hearing, my, the upper ranges of my hearing were knocked out by a series of ear infections that I had. And so functionally, I have ha been hearing impaired for almost my entire life. Uh, but my journey as a person with a disability is so reflective of so many other professionals with disabilities and so many other people with disabilities in that I was able to hide it. Uh, you know, you have people on your podcast that are always talking about invisible conditions. And that was really something that was true for me. 
so many years uh, was figuring out how to hide it and figuring out how to work around it. Um, and I think, too, the thing that kind of stands out to me about the whole experience was that it not only was something to hide, but it was something that I was a little bit embarrassed about. It was something that I didn't want anybody to think differently of me. Um, and additionally, like sometimes it came down to really silly stuff in retrospect too. Like uh, I was vain about having the tube stick out of my ears for having hearing aids. Most people can't even see it, um, but I was vain about that particular thing. So for me, it was many, many years of basically going through life and struggling to hear people. In fact, I remember my sixth grade uh, language arts teacher at the time, uh, she said to me, Miles, it seems like you're just not very good at listening. And it's kind of funny how spot on she was. Like, I think she meant it from a different angle. And it's uh, a little bit hurtful when you think about it from that perspective. But it's something that I've kind of carried with me in the whole uh, the whole rest of my life is should be better at listening. Um, and really, I've sought to kind of overcome those barriers, uh, despite the fact that I knew that I had profound hearing loss uh, pretty much since I was born. And uh, similar to so many other people, I learned to adapt. So I worked for six years in an Apple store. And for six years, I learned to read lips, to stand a little bit closer to people. I learned to really watch uh, emotional expressions. And at the end of the day, I learned to fake it till I make it, right? You know, if you are able to uh, show positive emotions, if you're able to connect with people, sometimes you don't actually have to hear what they're saying to still connect with another human being. Uh, so sometimes at the end of the day, it's about faking it. And I don't like to admit that, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, you learn to adapt to whatever the situation is that you're thrown into. So for many, many years, I resisted wearing hearing aids altogether because it was something that I felt that I didn't need it. Uh, I felt that I was perfectly complete without it. Uh, and furthermore, I didn't want to be perceived as different from any kind of other people out there. Uh, and then one day uh, I was working at Peak Performers. I was about a year into my uh, work with Peak Performers. And finally, I was at a job fair. I'd probably talked to 400 people that day. And the last person exited my uh, table and I was like, I'm just tired. I'm just so very, very tired of faking it, of tra trying to figure out how to do all of this without any kind of assistance. And ultimately, it was the kind of thing where I decided that I wanted this. Uh, for years, my mother had been after me and she'd been like, Miles, I'd so much like for you to um, wear hearing aids so that the rest of us don't have to shout at you. And the problem was that I'm a little bit stubborn, Tim. I'm a little bit stubborn when it comes to these sorts of things. And, uh, you know, when you frame it like that, like it's for everybody else's benefit, but not mine, I needed to hear it the other way around. Uh, and so maybe if you have any uh, caregivers in your audience right now uh, that are talking with people about like how to encourage people to seek out the accommodations that they need to be successful in the world, or at least more comfortable uh, in the world, then that might be the way to think about it is how can you frame it that this is for your benefit and this is for your success. Um, and in the end, uh, you know, I still uh, hesitate sometimes to call them my hearing aids because I prefer to think of them as my bionic ears, right? I prefer to think of them as something kind of cool and I'm an augmented human in a way. Uh, and, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, I can walk around the, uh, go through grocery store aisles be listening to a podcast and be completely checked out in my own world and nobody realizes a dang thing. I can take all my uh, calls directly on my uh, phone. And even if it's windy outside, I can hit tap a button to cut down that wind noise so that I don't even hear it. And dang, that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> that is, I, wow, I've never thought of it like that. You know, that 
that bionic ears, being able to turn on and turn off what you want to hear and the just maybe the distractions you want to tune out. And when you reframe it like that, because there's a lot to just unpack in that. And I just want to thank you for sharing so vulnerably and so openly. Sure. Because when you frame it like that, I like what you said. Um, this is for your benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your mom says, I don't want to shout at you anymore. Well, how to reframe that into, hey, this is for you. This is your benefit as well, Miles. And I can remember the very first time that I put on hearing aids, I sat in my car and uh, I had grown up uh, playing uh, woodwinds, uh, instruments uh, throughout my entire life. And uh, over this course of time, my hearing had gotten gradually a little bit worse, but I started off playing the flute and I sat in my car and I'm a big fan of classical music and I turned on the classical radio station and I was able to hear the piccolos for the first time and tears started streaming down my face and I didn't quite realize the extent of what I had been missing. And yes, I was complete before then, but I'm enhanced now. Wow. That just, even what you said there, I am enhanced now. And, you know, I, I, I don't know what you're experiencing or what you've experienced. I know for me living with Crohn's, you know, I have a hard time framing it as I'm enhanced now that I'm missing most of my intestines, but it just makes me who I am. And, mm-hmm. and I think what I'm hearing miles is you now embrace who you are. This is who you are. And, and that's great. You know, there's so many different people uh, out there in the world. There's so many different experiences and even two people with the same, well, the quote unquote, same disability, are going to experience the world so very differently. So I think that what we need to think about is we need to think about how can we reframe and restructure to acknowledge the lived experiences of all of those people and the unique experiences that they bring to the table because um, not only do they come to the table with many, many different unique uh, experiences and perspectives and ways that you can be more inclusive as a business. Uh, but additionally, they bring in a lot of unique skill sets. The funny thing is, is that when I worked at Apple for six years without any kind of hearing assistance, uh, I learned to stand a little bit closer. I learned to read body language super well. I learned to watch lips. Um, and at the end of the day, too, I also learned to like use the technology around me. Like I'd hand the iPad over to let somebody type out something if I needed them to help out with uh, with various different things. But at the end of the day, uh, customers oftentimes felt a stronger connection with me uh, because uh, one, I would often be vulnerable and tell them that, hey, I have hearing loss and stuff. Uh, and that's why I'm having trouble hearing you right now. But they also would build a stronger connection with me because I am exhibiting those things like making really good eye contact, watching your lips, standing a little bit closer to you. So it has some of those like different tangential benefits. But the other kind of thing that I would say is that from like a perspective uh, sort of situation, I try to be as clear in my communication as possible. And I try to say things from multiple different angles because I realize that people listen differently and people hear differently. And so it's really important that you're able to express yourself in such a way so that people can access the conversation from multiple different angles. When you said something earlier just about how not not all disabilities have the same requirement. Mm -hmm. Not everyone who has um, hearing loss or everyone who lives with Crohn's or everyone who has arthritis has that same 
requirements, let's say in this context, in the workplace. And do you run into that bias in the workplace and how do you overcome that? Or what advice would you give to organizations in that? There's a lot of different ways to tackle that question. So when it comes to bias and discrimination, those are the big two scary words uh, for businesses. They hear bias, they hear discrimination, they hear lawsuits. Um, And so uh, I think that the Americans with Disabilities Act serves a very important function in that it does protect the rights of people with disabilities, uh, but at the same time, it can also conjure up a lot of fear that people have. Uh, Not only the businesses that may wanna hire people with disabilities, but it also may conjure up the fear of people with disabilities themselves as being perceived as different. Uh, Something that I'm all about here at Peak Performers is normalization. How can we talk about it in such a way so that it's human, so that's something that you can connect with. However, at the end of the day, uh, there is definitely some biases that are out there. Uh, There is discrimination that does happen, uh, and it's unfortunate when it does, um, but it is, uh, and it can be very challenging when you are the person that is victim to that kind of thing. What I happen to see most of the time, though, is that usually it's a case of misunderstanding. Uh, Usually it's a case of uh, unintentional unsensitivity. It's not that people are directly meaning to hurt you. Uh, Usually it is a set of circumstances where people say the wrong thing, uh, people uh, act in the wrong way, uh, or people might even try to be doing the right thing, but they do the wrong thing by accident. I'll give you a classic example. So let's say, for example, uh, you have a pickup uh, basketball game that's happening after work. And so naturally, you don't invite the person who has a motor disability, be that somebody that's in a wheelchair, for example, um, to that after work activity. Now, you know, that's Uh, maybe you're doing that because at the end of the day, you don't want them to feel awkward about it. You don't want them to feel awkward about showing up and wheeling up and being like, oh, well, you know, I'm here to hang out or something. But here's what I would tell um, all the people that are out there. Um, First off, uh, make the leap. Uh, Try to include people, uh, even if you do or say the wrong thing, because you don't know. That person that's wheeling up in a wheelchair may be the best basketball player that you'd ever seen, uh, especially for an after-work pickup game. Uh, You have no idea about that. Um, But then the second thing is that realize, take the leap, um, because most people are going to be understanding if you say or do the wrong thing. I think where most people get into trouble is where they walk on eggshells around people with disabilities um, or... They are so worried about saying the exact right thing that they don't say anything at all, and that's worse. Uh, At the end of the day, we're all going to say the wrong thing. We're all going to do the wrong thing. So when that comes up back to bias, uh, you know, uh, there are is definitely situations of bias that do come up. But I like to look at the world as a bit of a Pollyanna. Uh, I like to look at it as, yes, there is bias, but most people are trying to do the right thing, trying to say the right thing and do the right thing and to be inclusive. But sometimes they may need a little bit of help from you on exactly how to do that. Yeah, I it. What you're saying really resonates with me, and I've given a few talks on this topic. Often the words that we use, there's really often no ill intent behind it. And so going into a conversation with that lens that you know, we we're, we all say the wrong things, we're going to put our foot in our mouth, we're going to, you know, we, we might unintentionally offend. That's, to me, it's not really an excuse, 
however, what that is, is an opportunity then to educate and correct and to be, uh, to step into that with uh, an open mind. But also if, you know, if you're not sure how to communicate, like in your example, uh, after work, a pickup basketball game, just ask. I think it's, you know, like you said, it's that normalization of this, uh, there's still so much fear. So then sometimes we don't even talk. We don't even ask if we, if we, if we want to try and include people, but we know there's a disability, whether it's a parent or not a parent, um, what do we do? Do we just shut down? Do we just not even uh, broach that conversation? Absolutely. Yeah. It's so very common where people will just not include somebody because they think that that's the right thing to do. But when in doubt, you know, just always put yourself out there too. Um, and the other thing too is always seek feedback. Uh, so it's okay to ask somebody and say, hey, you know, uh, this was the way that I engaged with you the other day. How did that go for you? I'm trying to get some feedback, trying to be a little bit better. Uh, those are some of the different things that you can do. Um, and then really take and internalize that feedback. If somebody says, hey, you did the wrong thing, you said the wrong thing, or presented things in a bad way, then really take that to heart and try to be better the next time that you engage not only with that person, but engage with other people who might experience similar kinds of situations. And, you know, uh, we talk about this from a perspective of disability, but that's just a human way to do it, right? We talk about the value of diversity, equity, inclusion, and that's just a, you know, that's the, that's the golden rule that you can apply for pretty much any situation is, hey, try to do the right thing, uh, listen to feedback, do better next time. Ask for feedback. A good friend of mine, Matthew Gould, he, he has always, always said and taught me, feedback is a gift. And when, you know, there's an art to giving feedback and asking for feedback, you know, if somebody says, oh, it could have been better. Okay, what about it could have been better? Hey, did I say anything that offended? Yes. If that's where the conversation ends, then <laughs> then we need to go a little bit deeper in that. And so, you know, even getting into that practice of asking for feedback, it's it's a skill and it's a learned skill, but a super valuable skill. It absolutely is. So I do. Uh, I mentioned that I do board game design, and one of the most valuable things that I've learned from doing game design over the years is on a weekly basis, I bring these creations, uh, if you will, uh, to the table. And I ask uh, some of my dearest friends to play with uh, them with me and then to provide feedback and tell me exactly what they think. And I get the most nervous when nobody says anything afterwards, right? Uh, so that's, a, but I've also become very good over the years at being able to hear people say, uh, well, this is really bad, or this is, you know, not working, or this is not fun. Um, and in my case, uh, it's always better to have feedback than no feedback, because if people are not saying anything, then that usually means that it's a dud, it's a failure to start. And then that also kind of puts the impetus back on me as the designer to be able to say, hey, so nobody's asking, answer, answering my question, so I'm gonna rephrase these questions in a different way because you might be able to uh, interpret that from the disability angle too, that a lot of people that you're interacting with, the concept of giving feedback about disability inclusion and disability in the workplace or even disability hiring is so foreign to them or they so much don't wanna say the right the, the wrong thing, or they so much think that, oh, maybe I should bring this up with HR, you know, that they 
they might even be afraid to engage at a very basic level. Um, so the best thing that you can have is when people begin talking and begin having the conversations. And I would further extrapolate too that, while not always the case, um, what I often find is that many instances of wrongful terminations, uh, many instances of grievances at work, many lawsuits and stuff, oftentimes uh, they come from misunderstandings. It's, uh, it can sometimes come from ill will from employers, uh, but a lot of times it comes from misunderstandings. And that's really unfortunate. That breaks my heart that a conversation has broken down at that level that it requires that much intervention. And when it comes to that place, whether, as you said, in intervention, whether it's legal or maybe someone has been terminated, yeah, it breaks my heart as well. And uh, yet it it happens. And so, you know, I just, that's a, maybe a good segue into you know, disability and disabilities in the workplace. Sure. And, you know, I in pre preparation for this episode and also researching uh, for invisible condition, come across a lot of data that, that still says organizations are afraid to hire people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, people are afraid because there might be a lot of cost, an extra cost or the accommodation or you know, fill in the blank. And yet you're in the business, um, in, in your nonprofit to support people with disabilities to get, um, to, to find work, to find jobs. Sure. How do you reconcile that in organizations? Yeah, it is hard. Uh, there's a lot of companies that are afraid to engage with us for those particular reasons, or they might engage with peak performers from the perspective that, oh, this is going to be some niche kind of hiring, uh, whereas they don't really see us as a staffing agency, first and foremost. And that's what we are. We are a staffing agency, uh, particularly a public sector staffing expert and a private sector staffing uh, expert that is nationwide uh, that is here to help clients find great talent. Uh, and that's really where the way that I like to recommend that they look at it. But there still is that hesitancy that's out there. And for those people that are expressing hesitation right now, here's what I would tell you. Uh, first off, it begins with you. This is not somebody else's job. This is something that begins with you. This is not something that has to be done at a grand level from coming from the CEO and then trickling down to HR and then, you know, yada, yada. This is something that you can start doing right now by thinking to yourself, oh, I have a person in my workplace uh, and I could talk with them about disabilities. I could disclose my own disability. I could disclose the own challenges that I face in the workplace. I could ask for an accommodation myself. Um, or if you're a hiring manager, you could be able to say, hey, so I haven't hired somebody with a disability before, but maybe now is a great time to start. Or as I like to correct people, you probably don't realize that you've hired somebody with a disability yet. But there's a lot of hesitation out there. There's a lot of fear out there. Um, and there's a lot of concern uh, that comes up. So uh, just to kind of give you an example, uh, many companies might view hiring people with disabilities as uh, more litigious, for example. They're afraid that, okay, if I hire 
uh, this person with a disability to come into the workplace and then I have to terminate them, then uh, they're going to be more likely to sue me and I'm going to lose a ton of money or something like that, which is unfortunate that your mind goes there. But, you know, that be that as the case, uh, time after time that has been proven false. Uh, there's a really good Walgreens study that actually proves differently on in that case. And then that same study, it also talks a little bit more about um, safety. Uh, so there might be the perception that employers have that, okay, if I have a person with a disability, then they're more likely to have an accident on the job. They're more likely to cause some kind of big workers' comp situation and or break something. Um, and that's actually not true. Uh, you know, many people with disabilities are very aware of their bodies. They're very aware of the limitations that they may have. They know when they need to take a break um, and they're able to more uh, carefully safeguard to ensure that accidents don't happen. In fact, most of the time accidents happen when people let their guard down. But there's many other kind of uh, positive attributes too. So aside from just the negatives, uh, there are so many other positive attributes that I would inform business on too. The, there was a new study that was put out uh, by Accenture and Disability In, uh, and you should definitely link to it in your show notes, Tim, uh, uh, giving you a, a, a feeler there. But um, it is a it's a study that has been done over several years right now that talks about the business use case for hiring people with disabilities. And long story short, Disability In uh, gets a number of businesses every single year that fills out a survey. It's a very in-depth survey, and it talks a little bit more about, hey, who are you hiring? Uh, how are you hiring? How are you including? And how are you handling accommodations for your organization? And then based off the survey results, they uh, select a certain percentile, usually around 30% of those businesses to be regarded as disability champions. Uh, or in other words, they have a lot of positive things going for their organization that makes it so that somebody is more likely to get hired and more likely to stick around within their organization and be happy doing so as well. And what they found uh, was striking. Uh, for example, uh, they found that companies that are disability inclusive uh, hiring champions uh, are more profitable, they bring in more net income, and they're more productive. And uh, I would also add too something that here at Peak Performers, we ourselves have seen is that when you hire for people with disabilities, your retention rate goes up as well too. Uh, additionally, you often get people that will um, be more likely to kind of refer their friends uh, because they know that it's a safe space to work. And the final tidbit that I would throw out there as well is that when you recruit for something like a disability, uh, you get a better representation of all the people that are available and out there to work. Uh, and since people with disabilities experience an unemployment rate that is double that of the national average, uh, oftentimes they are not necessarily being the ones that are the first one's called by every single employer, but that doesn't mean that they're not a very qualified, very able workforce that is eager to come and work for you. I love the that practical insight, the practical takeaways, and, and just debunking this myth that there is so much risk wrapped around hiring somebody with, with a disability. And I've read similar studies to the one Accenture, and I'll definitely link that in the show notes, where, where the retention rates go up your profits go up. Why? Because if we create an inclusive environment where people can show up as themselves and not worry and not hide, uh, we're able to work when they're the most productive. Guess what? Those people aren't going to leave. They're going to stick around. And uh, I think as employers, if you're listening to this, we need to wrap our heads around that right? If you create a, a wonderful environment, let's say you're hosting a dinner party and it is the best dinner party you've, you've ever hosted. Your friends are just loving it. 
you know, it comes to like a midnight and you're kicking people out because they don't want to leave, <laughs> right? You yeah. do this in your workplace, you created an environment where people don't want to leave, they're not going to leave. And so it's, it's, it sounds easy, yet there's still so much fear wrapped in that. Absolutely. And it's one of those things. The other thing that businesses tell me too is that they're not sure where to start. Um, and at the end of the day, it's, you start somewhere, you start anywhere, you you uh and there's a couple of different things so first off uh, let's be more specific though try to give you a little bit more of a roadmap mm -hmm. as opposed to just saying start somewhere um so first off i would think about how do you hire people with disabilities that's something that i get asked all the freaking time is how do you find all these people with disabilities how do you recruit all of them and the simple answer of it is that they are buried in the rest of the population and oftentimes they may be like me they may be uh, like other people with invisible conditions and they may just not uh, come out and show you and they may you may not earn their trust yet um, but uh, people often ask me like do you post particular places in order to find people with disabilities well we have certain kind of strategic partnerships and referral relationships but by and large most of our applicants come from applying for the regular jobs that we post on Indeed, on ZipRecruiter, and on our website, and on LinkedIn. Because guess what? People with disabilities are everywhere. A quarter of the US population has a disability of some way, shape, or form, but only 4% of people actually tell their boss that they have a condition. So that's the first thing to wrap your head around is just understand that you probably already have people with disabilities working for you right now. You already do. Uh, but then the second thing is think about how can I be more inclusive when it comes to actually recruiting people. So um, there's a lot of different things that we can kind of dig into right here. But let me just give you kind of a couple of examples. The first thing that I would tell you is that you want to rethink about what a good hire looks like. You need to rethink that fundamentally um, because there's a lot of people, for example, uh, that may exhibit traits that would normally disqualify them out of the hiring process. Let's start with the resume, just to start off with something. Okay, so I have been told uh, by exactly two people this year uh, that have successfully battled cancer, cancer, and they said, Miles, having cancer absolutely sucked. It took everything out of me. But I can tell you that it was harder finding a job after having had cancer than it was battling cancer itself. And what does that say about the world, right? What does that say about the freaking world? So career gaps are a very big thing that you can look for. Uh, while we oftentimes may be inclined to just assume that maybe somebody's been sitting on their butt for the last three years and stuff. Maybe they've been traveling the world or doing something, you know, I don't know, but they aren't, they aren't working. So, you know, why would I want to hire them? Well, career gaps are very common for people with disabilities, whether for uh, mental conditions that they experience or physical conditions or injuries that they may incur. And a lot of times it's not their own fault. So the first thing that you can do is look past that bias that you have around um, hiring somebody uh, who has a career gap. Um, the second thing that I can, would tell you too, is that this goes back to that kind of perception of like what makes a good worker. So a lot of people with disabilities that I meet oftentimes have pretty choppy looking resumes and they're perceived as job hoppers, right? Because they work six months here, they work four months here, then a year there, uh, and then they're back to four months over here at the next occupation. And employers see that and they say, well, obviously, like they're not going to stick around with me. They're not going to really 
one work here a long time, they're a job hopper. And, you know, that's almost a dirty word. But many times when you see people that are hopping around between different jobs, it's because they can't find a place where they're comfortable. They can't find a place that they feel comfortable asking for what it is that they need to be successful. And so they just move on. They just move on, and that, uh, to me, is a tragedy, uh, that you lost a good employee and they have moved on from your organization just because they didn't trust you enough to really come out and ask for what they uh, what they need to be successful. Um, and speaking of which, uh, let's talk about kind of the next piece of that. So when we are going through the interviews, there's many perceptions that we have about what makes a person a good interviewer and what makes a person that's more likely to um, uh, be a good candidate for a long-term fit for this job. And I can tell you from personal experience that oftentimes the most charismatic people are the ones that get the jobs, regardless if their job actually involves customer-facing situations or public speaking situations, whatever. In fact, most jobs don't require that. Most jobs do not require that, but oftentimes the most charismatic person and the best interviewer is gonna get the job. But there might be a person with autism that feels uncomfortable shaking your hand, or they might not be able to look you in the eye, or there might be somebody that has a chronic health condition and they're worried about showing up for a in-person interview, let alone taking their mask off during that interview. And we may often have perceptions against those people and regard them as weird or a little bit off, but again, are they any less qualified to do the job? I don't think so. The final bit that I would throw yeah. in is uh, is that we need to rethink about how we're talking about accommodations, because a lot of times when we think about accommodations, uh, we were thinking about it from the perspective of a process. Uh, and you've heard me say it several times here before, but what you need to be thinking about it is what do you need to be successful? And as a manager, you can come and you can use those exact words. You have my permission. Please do use those words and ask your people, what is it that you need to be successful? Because that takes so much of the stigma away from it. Uh, that takes so much of the shame that might be attached to it away from it. Uh, and it really enables people to ask for a range of accommodations because accommodations, uh, you know, I don't know if you knew this, Tim, but the Department of Labor recently released a study that said that over 50% of accommodations cost nothing, nothing, zero dollars, and 30% actually have a one-time fixed cost of $300 or less. And when you consider the fact that uh, according to Society for Human Resource Management, the average cost per hire is over $14,000 in the United States. 300 bucks is nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's, it is nothing. I love that you brought, uh, wrapped this up with accommodation because it's twofold. One is creating an environment where somebody feels safe enough to ask for an accommodation. And I would say even, even demonstrate how you've uh, offered accommodations in the past. Here's some examples that we offer. We invite you to ask for that accommodation. But then also the person who's who's needs the accommodation, you got being bold, being bold and saying, this is what I, I'm going to need to perform in this role, or this is what I need for my condition. And and I want to flip it just sure. you know, as we're as we're wrapping up here, but I want to flip it just to that job seeker. Yeah. I've been a job seeker. I've been fearful of discrimination. I've been fearful of, okay. Do I tell somebody um, in an interview that, hey, I might need to pause and run to the washroom? Because I live with Crohn's. It just goes hand in hand. Yeah. People don't want to hear it. People don't want to talk about it. it makes, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, but it's just something that I might need. And uh, 
So I'm curious from your perspective, from a job seeker, when you are sitting down for that interview, what, how do you show up? How do you, how do you coach someone to show up for, uh, for that? Well, the first thing is always to show up. Uh, you know, I, I have two, uh, I have two mantras in life and that's always follow up and always show up. And, uh, really, if you can do that, you are going to stand above so many other job seekers with or without disabilities. Um, so that's the very first thing, but taking it beyond that most basic level, coming out and sharing with the world that you have a disability can be a very uncomfortable experience, uh, especially if you have experienced discrimination in the past, especially if you experienced um, wrongful termination in the past. Um, on, yeah, and so the challenge with it is, is that a lot of times you have to approach each new employer with a fresh set of eyes, and you have to assume that they're a good person that wants to do the right thing, even if you yourself have experienced uh, bad situations previously. So you have to look at it and you have to assume that most people are good people that want to help you out, that want to hire you, that want to do a good job, but maybe there needs to be some things that need to be overcome. Uh, so when it comes to actually coming out about your disability, and by the way, if you have a disability, uh, while it is a very personal decision, uh, I would encourage you to think about coming out. I would encourage you to think about actually disclosing your disability. Uh, and then the question becomes, when do I do that? I wouldn't do it uh, on your resume. I wouldn't slap a big label right there that says I am disabled and stick it on your resume. No, that's probably not a great idea. Um, but what I would think about doing is when can I get to a point where I've built rapport and trust with the hiring manager? When have I looked them in the eyes? When do I know that I am close to being offered the job or have already been offered the job? And now is a good opportunity for me to really come to the table and ask for what I need to be successful. And furthermore, unfortunately, the onus of accommodations oftentimes is put on the person with a disability. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. Uh, but here's what I would tell you is that if you can come to the table and have a solution ready to go, a lot of times the employer is very ready to say yes, uh, especially if you know how to frame it, especially if you know how to uh, really uh, present it in a way that it's not a big deal. Uh, again, you shouldn't have to feel compelled to present it this way, but that's kind of the way that the world works right now, and that's how you, I find you're going to be the most successful. So there's a couple of resources that I would recommend. Uh, you can start with askjan.org. Uh, that is a fantastic resource for you to go and research the range of different accommodations that are out there and what other people with a similar disability to yours have asked for previously in order to be the most successful that they can be. So that's a fantastic resource for you. But then there's the other, the other part of it too. Let's say, for example, uh, you've been living with a mental health diagnosis now for the last uh, two years, but you have your medications under control and you are taking regular therapy and you're good, you know, you're good, you're groovy, man. Uh, well, I would still think about maybe coming out and actually telling your employer that you have a disability. And here's why. Uh, for the first reason is that you are oftentimes going to enable other people around you to come out and ask for what they need to be successful. Many, you are going to become a leader in the disability movement simply by disclosing the own disabilities experiences that you have had in the past. Uh, and 
you know, you can't necessarily delegate disability disclosure. A lot of times it comes from the people that are all around you that are willing to talk about their lived experience. So that's the first altruistic reason. And the second one is more uh, selfish. And uh, I think that it's just as important though. Bodies change, minds change, disability changes, and your accommodations needs change. And many times where I see people get into trouble is where they start off working for a company and they're doing great. And then all of a sudden things happen, whether that's a personal life event or it's a change in medication, their bodies change, whatever. And then all of a sudden they find it to where it's difficult to fulfill the basic elements of the job as they were doing previously. And the biggest thing that employers don't like to see is they don't like to be surprised. Uh, so as much as possible, you want to really avoid situations where you're going to surprise your employer. Um, and again, the onus shouldn't be on you, but a lot of times it is. So think about not only your current self and present self, but think about future miles, future Tim, how can I look out for the future me and make sure that I'm going to have everything that I need to be successful and to stay working. So much just packed right in there. So much insight and wisdom, Miles. I just love your passion for this space. You know, there's a couple things that, that really have stood out to me, which is vulnerability. And I recorded a podcast recently. Um, it's going to come out in a couple weeks and it's titled Vulnerability Build Vulnerability. Disclosing in your organization that, hey, I have a disability with your HR team, with your team, with your manager, uh, it builds, um, it builds rapport with others. And it breaks down those invisible barriers and that invisible, that well, not visible and invisible stigma that surrounds our invisible conditions. Love that. I love also that um, we talk about that trust and rapport, you know, asking for what we need to be successful. Hey, I have regular doctor's appointments. They typically happen in the afternoons. I schedule them for late in the day, but I will come in early those days and make up that time. You know, your manager or your boss will say, okay, that sounds good. Yeah. Instead of saying, hey, what do you want me to do? I have a doctor's appointment. Right. <laughs> and you now leave it for your manager to figure that out. But providing them saying, hey, this is this is what I need. I, I recently had a conversation with a, a young guy who um, has battles mental health um, um, illness. And he's he's good. As you said, he's groovy. He's on his medication. He's good. He really wants to tell his story and he's going to be coming up on the podcast next early next year, Ooh. but he's afraid of being discriminated against. Yeah. And he said that to me and I said, well, it's your story. You know, it's your story to share. What makes you want to share your story? And he said, if it, if it helps just one person, that's what matters to me most. And I don't want to work for somebody who's going to discriminate against me. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want to work for them anyway. Yeah, no, it, it, you don't. You know, we frame it like you're losing a job, but maybe it's the best situation for you to find an employer yeah. that's going to be more respectful and understanding your need of your needs. Absolutely. And, and so, uh, you know, we could go off. I, I don't think this is going to be our last conversation because even in this one 45 minute episode, we have crammed in a lot. And I think that there could be three or four different other episodes out of this. Um, and so if you, uh, if you're listening 
and this really uh, strikes uh, a nerve with you or piques your interest, and no pun intended with peak performers. Miles, where can people reach you? How can people get a hold of you to learn more? Absolutely. I am eager to connect with job seekers. I'm eager to connect with businesses. I'm also eager to connect with community partners that are working with job seekers with disabilities too. So you name it, uh, you know, uh, this is a group effort. We got to, let's get them hired. Let's, uh, let's find them jobs. Uh, and uh, that is something that I'm very personally passionate about and happy to engage with you on. Find me on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Miles with a Y, M-Y-L-E-S, Wallace. And you can connect with me there. Uh, let's schedule some time to chat a little bit more. And also, if you are looking for a job, I'd encourage you to check out our website, peakperformers.org. That's where you can find all the different jobs that we have open right now. We are committed to providing people with professional opportunities. So you're going to find everything from like administrative assistants to accountants to IT project managers to engineers. Uh, all the way over to job developers and everything in between. Uh, we've got a ton of different opportunities. And while we are headquartered out of Austin, Texas, we are nationwide across the U.S. Not in Canada yet. We're working on it, Tim. So uh, we'll, we'll try to get there. Um, and if you are a business that wants to talk about this a little bit more but are a little bit afraid to do so, a great next step is chatting with me. Uh, we can have a conversation. We can see how it might be able to fit in with your goals. And uh, who knows, maybe, you know, even if peak performers is not a fit for you for hiring people with disabilities, I might be able to give you a couple of tips so that you can hire your first person with a disability. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and that's a big, uh, a big a challenge to all those business owners who are listening, all those HR uh, people, uh, managers who are listening. Here's a, a call to action for you is stop being afraid to hire somebody with a disability, whether it's visible or invisible. Mm -hmm. People, if you have an environment that people want to be at, uh, people with disabilities, and the numbers prove it. We'll link to all, we'll link to the reports in the show notes. So the, the numbers support it, that people with disabilities will help you in your, if you're looking at your bottom line, your profitability, your revenue, your retention rates, and it's not gonna cost you anything. At most, on average, maybe $300. Maybe, yeah. but Maybe, but, but that uh, hardly costs anything. And so uh, let's stop being afraid to hire people with disabilities. That's where I'm getting to. So Miles, thank you so much for joining the Invisible Condition podcast today. Uh, I've learned a lot. I know our listeners are going to learn a lot and I, I really appreciate you coming on. You're quite welcome, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. And for the, all those who are listening, what really helps the show is to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Also follow us on Instagram and bookmark the website. Uh, we have more and more resources coming out in, in the days and weeks to come. So with that, I just thank you for, for joining me today. And with that, I hope you have an amazing day.